Welcome to the Sunday in the Christian calendar in which we celebrate the mystery of the Holy Trinity. During this lectionary year, we have thus far focused on texts that have been left out of the year's A through C lectionaries. In fact, the only part of this reading that appears in the RCL is the final two verses. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the holy ones greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Devoid of context, these verses are more strange admonition than useful exhortation. The text is included in the Revised Common Lectionary because it is is an example of Trinitarian language, which we do not see particularly often in the biblical text. Still, it is difficult to understand why we are called to greet one another with a holy kiss or even what Paul is trying to do in this text with just two verses. If we know anything about Paul, it is that that he believed himself to have been chosen by God to spread the gospel. After his dramatic Damascus Road experience, he devoted the rest of his life to sharing that gospel, taking missionary journeys, establishing churches, and writing letters. Those letters comprise over one-third of the New Testament, and Paul has been called the most influential early believer. That said, he is also writing to individual churches with individual problems, all doing their best to serve God and understand how best to follow the Lord where they are. Both anciently and modernly, Paul faced much criticism. There were some who criticized Paul for blending Judaism with Greek philosophy, seeking to create a religion that could speak to both parts of his own identity as a Jewish Roman citizen. There were some who criticized Paul for spreading a faith that looks little like the teachings of Jesus. I don't wholly disagree with either of these criticisms. But we must also recognize that Paul's letters represent the earliest preserved New Testament documents. Simply put, Paul lived and wrote at a time closer to the life of Jesus than any other writer we know of. Paul, too, was aware of the criticisms levied against him. In fact, we enter today's text with Paul just having defended himself against so-called super-apostles who taught different things than Paul did. Here, he opens the chapter by speaking to a church who doesn't know whom to believe and is so fractured by infighting. It begins, This third time I'm coming to you. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a fact shall be established. I warned those who sinned earlier and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not be lenient, since you are looking for proof of Christ speaking in me. It was one sentence. He is not weak toward you, but powerful in you. For indeed, he was crucified out of weakness, but he lives by the power of God. So also we are weak in him, but toward you we shall live with him by the power of God. Paul writes to tell the church that he is coming to visit them a third time. In chapter 12, we have learned that their quarreling and jealousy and anger and selfishness and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder are the reasons for said visit. In it, they are told to expect a painful time of mourning for those who continue to harm the community. In short, First Church of Corinth is being torn apart by factions, and they are known by their divisiveness. Paul has repeatedly urged them toward peace and unity, though not uniformity. In fact, Paul has praised the diversity of the congregation. He exhorts them to voluntarily humble themselves as Jesus did. 
when we recognize that to some extent, all of our beliefs are flawed, when we realize that every effort we make, we make bearing the heavy weight of sin on us and the world, it is far easier to be humble and to extend grace to those who believe differently, even without changing our own views. This is the place from which their and our actions should spring. They and we are called to live as peacemakers, as repairers of the breach. How are they to do so, one wonders. The text continues. Examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. I hope you will discover that we have not failed, but we pray to God that you may not do evil, not that we may appear to have passed the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we are weak, but you are strong. What we pray for is your improvement. The way to become a peacemaker, a repairer of the breach, is to take stock, to check in with ourselves, to test ourselves, Paul says. But I really like the rhetorical nature of this question. Notice how the only way to fail the test is to find that Jesus Christ is not in us. Otherwise, we are living in faith to one degree or another. Something that could have incited fear is really meant to be a comfort to us. Paul is not talking about the possibility of someone having Jesus in them only then to apostatize and discover that he's no longer there. His point is this. If the Corinthians are truly Christians, they will realize that Jesus is in them. And once they do, they will change their behaviors to align with that truth. It is God's spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Our call is to listen, to make space for, to acknowledge the Holy Spirit is present, doing her work in and around us. Once we are assured that the spirit is within us, then we can examine our actions. Do those actions tell the story of the life of God in us? Do those actions align with the values of Jesus during his earthly ministry? Do we do good and not evil? Do we turn from quarreling and jealousy and anger and selfishness and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder? Do we turn toward our community? Do we seek the health and well-being of those around us, not simply ourselves? We do not need to ask whether we sin, because of course we do. But we do need to ask how we respond when we are caught in sin by ourselves or by another. When I am revealed as selfish or jealous or conceited, what is the posture of my heart? Do I make a sincere effort at changing my behaviors better to reflect the call of the gospel? We ought not to be indifferent to the ethical demands the gospel makes of us and on our lives. There is, in fact, no authentic way to follow Jesus and continue to engage in actions and attitudes that bring harm to the vulnerable around us. And so Paul closes his letter. I'm writing this while I am away so that when I come, I may not have to be severe in virtue of the authority that the Lord has given me to build up and not to tear down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Mend your ways. Encourage one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the holy ones greet you. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Paul wants the Corinthians to mend their ways before he returns to them. He says, by virtue of the authority God has given him, though he is able to tear them down, he will choose to build them up instead. Grace looks something like this, choosing kindness, reconciliation, and repair, even though we could choose harm and destruction and separation, and no one would think we were wrong to do so. Here, at the end of the pericope, the exhortation to greet one another with a holy kiss makes a little bit more sense. The church is called to extend love to its members in ways that make sense in our culture. That may not be a kiss, but it will be a kindness. It is to greet one another warmly as we learn to be Christ's body in the world. It is to recognize that even though we have differences, there is one body and one spirit and one hope to which we have been called. From that knowing, we act. From that knowing, we recognize God's spirit at work in us and round and round we go. Carla Works writes, Paul's closing in 2 Corinthians is not simply an appeal for the church to get along. It is an exhortation for the Corinthians to be the new creation that the Spirit is equipping them to be. Because of the Spirit's presence with us, we can put aside the things that divide us as we seek to worship God and live together rightly. And so as we celebrate Trinity Sunday and as we approach this communion table, let us recognize the call to be the new creation that the Spirit is equipping us to be. Let us find strength in our unity and purpose. And let us be recreated. Amen.